amazing grace amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me
by day. The cloud by day is a sign that you are with me. The fire by night is the guiding light to my feet. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters from my release. Oh, Yahweh. You're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea. You have led me through the deep. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're the God who fights for me. Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah, stepped into my Egypt, you took me by the hand, you marched me out in freedom into the promised land. Now I will not forget you, I'll sing of all you've done, death is swallowed up forever by the fury of your love. As you stepped into my Egypt, you took me by the hand, you marched me out in freedom, straight into the promised land. Now I will not forget you, God, I'll sing of all you've done. Death is swallowed up forever by the fury of your love. Fights for me, Lord of every victory. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea. You have led me through the deep. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. You're the God. You're the God who fights for me, Lord of every. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea. You have led me through the deep. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You're the God who fights for me, Lord of every
Yes, Lord, we, we sing hallelujah to you because you're the God who, who saved us and redeemed us. Lord, you brought us victory through Christ as he, as he won the victory at the cross. And Lord, today we give our hearts to you, Lord. As I said, Pentecost Sunday, this is the day the Holy Spirit fell upon the church with power and according to John the Baptist with fire. And Lord, today we're longing for that fire. We're longing for that wind to wind sound to blow through this temple right here. I'm speaking of the temple of my body, Lord, to whiz through our bodies and speak to us in our hearts, Lord, today as Pentecost is celebrated, the anniversary of it, Lord, which was the beginning of the church, really. And we thank you, Lord. Today, Father God, we're going to be studying, you know, one of the most important doctrines of Scripture. I know a lot of people don't think this is a church doctrine, but it is. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is no different than communion or, or water baptism. It's spoken about in the Gospels. It's performed in the book of Acts. And it's also talked about in the epistles. It is a church doctrine, but the church has seemed to have forgot it. And because we have, Lord, we have lost our power. And Father, today I pray the Freedom Church will get it back. But not only Freedom Church, Lord, you have other preachers around the world preaching this day. And Lord God, that they would be all fired up, Father God, for the Holy Spirit to come into them and light them ablaze once again. So that they can go forth with power and authority, their, their, their courage revamped. And understand that you will be with them everywhere they go. Because you even said so, Lord, when you left, you said that I will be with you even to the end of the age. The age hasn't ended yet, so you're still with us. And Lord, today, I pray that your power is seen, not only in the message, in the scriptures, but in this church and in our lives when we walk out of this place today. And we, we apply what we committed to, to our lives and to our hearts as we go from this place. Alive and ablaze with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. You wonder why we were flipping through the, the screen there with all the songs and getting messed up. That means the, the uh, connection was lost, and uh, we had to get it back on. And that seems to happen a lot here because, you know, I, I'm convinced it's because we preach the full gospel, you know. And when we get on the power subjects like today, I would expect the enemy to come against us. So right now we're praying in Jesus' name. He has been defeated. He's the prince of the power of the air. That makes Jesus the king of the power of the air. The sheriff of Nottingham couldn't go anywhere with King Henry around. I think it was King Henry. You know, he couldn't do nothing. Well, we have Jesus around, and the devil's, uh, you know, going to lose power here today, and people are going to come closer to Jesus. I, I pray with all of my heart. As I said in my prayer, you know, as far as I'm concerned, baptism in the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is, is, um, is a church doctrine. Spoken of in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, John the Baptist said it. Before Jesus even came on the scene, he said, He who comes after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, 
Not tie them, untie them. He's not even worthy to untie them. He said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We need to fire back in our, each, each of our hearts again, including me. You need our fire back in our hearts again. The church needs the fire again to be ablaze. So it's not too, too uh, you can't say, well, I'm sorry my pastor preaches too much on the baptism of the Holy Spirit or Pentecost. It's important. You do communion all the time. And once a month we do it here. Some people do it every day. You know what? You, you get water baptized when, you're, when you first become saved. It's a church doctrine. I tell everybody about the, wa the water baptism that if you can't follow the Lord and the simple fact of getting baptized and dunked in water, what makes you think you're going to obey him in anything else? We've got to get with the program here. For those of you out there and in here that have never been water baptized, you need to do it. We'll take you down to the ocean down here, and we'll dunk you in the water, and you can rise up to a new life, just a symbolization and identifying that you uh, are a child of God, that you've committed your life to Christ. Baptisms are so important, and so is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's uh, mentioned in the Gospels. I just quoted Matthew 3.11. You know, it's, it's performed in the book of Acts. It's actually happened. And it's talked about in the epistle. That makes it a church doctrine. But the churches don't like to say that because they lose people, because they're afraid they'll get the gift of tongues or prophecy or, or something like that. You know what? It's too bad. Every good gift, every perfect gift, it comes down from the, fa comes down from the Father of life's lights. Jesus said it. You are evil, and if your son asks you for a fish, you're going to give him a snake? No way. So why does the church think that some of the gifts are bad or, or they're no good? We've got to wake up to the program here and get with God. And quit, you know, quit following the people of the past. Maybe your old-time preacher you know, didn't believe in it. But the Gospels preach it and teach it, and they perform it. So who's right, God or them? So, you know, I just came off of, uh, I did my book on soldiers, you know, I did all the eight chapters of, of a soldier, you know, your about face, your, your basic training, your AIT, you know, in individual perfected training, that's your gifts, and went all through that, you know, and when I got to chapter seven, it was about, about being the empowered Christian, the empowered soldier, and this is the, this is the, the, uh, what can I say, the, the, the time the power fell on the church and on each individual within the church. So I'm going to start uh, reading in Acts chapter 1, you know, in verse, um, verse 1 through 4. I might, might even go a little bit longer than that, maybe into, into a little more, a few more verses. But this is, this is um, Dr. Luke talking to, Theophilus, okay? The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, that's ascension right there, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles to whom he had chosen 
To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from hence. And then when he had, they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it the time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on him, and a cloud received them, him out of their sight. This is the ascension. The disciples here said, you know, Jesus was telling the disciples, you heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will soon be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We know this is 40 days after the resurrection. We know that Pentecost is 50 days. And so Penta means 50. So we're talking 50 days after the resurrection. That means they're, they're, they're powerless still. They have the Holy Spirit, but they're still powerless. You know, see how they tried to change the subject here on Jesus in verse 6. You know, so when, you know, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, it is, is it time for you to restore the kingdom? But he said to them, he's, he's saying, like, you're off the subject, guys. The subject is the Holy Spirit's coming. Okay? So he brought them right back like any good teacher would do if they're teaching a Bible study. You go on a rabbit trail. They were going to try to take Jesus on a rabbit trail, and he wasn't going to bite into it. So he says to you, he says to them in the next sentence, he says, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs, which your father has by his own authority, but you will receive power. So he jumps back onto the Holy Spirit. You will receive, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. See, we've got to realize there's power in the Holy Spirit, and I know we, we know that, we, but are we really living it out? And we really applied this to our life. So we know that Jesus is telling him, you stay in Jerusalem. I don't want you going fishing. I don't want you going to some city. I want you to stay in Jerusalem until, you know, the Holy Spirit comes. So in Acts chapter 2, if you turn a few pages to your right, chapter, verses 1 through 4, here it is, 10 days later. They're still in this, probably the upper room. They're still in the upper room, and they're still powerless. They had the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read it to you as we get move on in John chapter 20. Jesus showed up in that room, and you, I'll read the passage here shortly, but he blew on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, they had the Holy Spirit. Well, why did the Holy Spirit have to come then? Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit wasn't there yet. They didn't understand it. And the Lord's telling them, you wait in Jerusalem. It is important. And I believe they were praying and fasting those days and, and eating and drinking just like they would, would do at any time. 
But I'm sure they were fasting and praying. Then here it is in chapter 2 of, verse a, of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Could have been in the upper room where, where they ate the Passover. Who knows? And suddenly there came, a, came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. Note that statement right there. It wasn't a, a, a rushing wind. It was not a wind blowing through the temple. It was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. I don't know about you, but I've had experiences in my life years ago where, you know, the Holy Spirit would rush through me, but there was no rushing sound. The Holy Spirit would, like, come into my head, whiz through my body, and my heart would automatically know what he was saying. It wasn't a sound. It was, you know, it wasn't a sound. I mean, it wasn't a rushing wind. It was, it was just there. And that's what's happening here. Like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There were 120 people in this room, you remember right. It filled the entire place. Just like when, when the curtain was torn in the temple, when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain in the temple that separated the, the outer courts, the holy place, and the holy of holies, that curtain was ripped open from the top to the bottom, and the Holy Spirit that was inside really kept in the presence of God, was inside the Ark of the Covenant. He was set free to fill that whole temple. Just like he set free to fill our whole temples today. Not just your heart, the Ark of the Covenant, which I call it. You know, you have to fill this entire temple in which you live. And we know that Paul said two times in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, that don't you know, believer, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know this? You better know it. This is not a, a, the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is a building with brick walls or concrete blocks, CBS, with stucco finish over it. This is the temple built without hands that Jesus was even talking about. And that, you know, they're in that upper room, and right now they're feeling that rushing mighty wind, and he's filling the entire house, and he's filling them up to the brim with the Holy Spirit. May have... Mike, I've experienced whiz through your head and, and through your body. You can feel him. You can't hear him, but you can feel him. And all of a sudden, in your heart, you know exactly what he's saying. And that's what's happening here, I believe. And they appeared to them tongues of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. One version says tongues of fire. And that means a split. You know, it's like not just a flame, you know, but it's split. It's a double flame, you know, and, and it rested on each one of them, not some of them, each one of them, every single one of them. This is really the beginning of the church, the beginning of the church right here. And Jesus died on the cross, and on a, if you had his birth death certificate, on the back would be the birth of the Christian church. Because that's exactly what happened. Yes, they were in that room on Resurrection Sunday in the evening. And Jesus appeared to them and he blew on them. And yes, they had the Holy Spirit. They were born again. They realized who Jesus was. He was standing right before them. Though some doubted, it says in one of the Gospels. He's standing right there before them. They, you know, he, the doors are barred. The doors are locked. The windows are barred. And all of a sudden, Jesus just shows up. 
It gives you a little example of what your resurrected body is going to be like. Jesus didn't tell them, and eight days later when he showed up, which would have been a whole week later, eight days later would have put it back on Sunday, the first day of the week, and Thomas is there, and Jesus said to Thomas, come and stick your fingers into my hands and your, and your finger into my side and see that I am not flesh and bone. There's a difference there. All the way through the Bible, we see that man and animals are flesh and blood. Obviously, there's a significant change here, and I don't know what it is, and I don't, I don't want to even jump at it. All I know is we're going to have different bodies. We're going to be able to do some things that we can't do and we weren't be able to do before, just like Jesus. So these tongues of fire rested on them, 120 of them. And you know what? The fire of God needs to rest on everyone here. If your church has 120 or 20 or 20,000, the Holy Spirit should be resting on each and every one of them that believe. And if they don't believe, somehow the unbeliever is going to recognize that they're di they're, these guys are different than you are. The Holy Spirit comes with fire. And this is where, where you know, John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 11, says that, you know, he will baptize you. Listen to this. It's no longer the pastor baptizing you or a deacon or an elder. It's Jesus Christ himself. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I don't know. If Jesus wants to do something for me or to me, I want it. I want it. So, he's, John's telling you, and John was a prophet, okay? He's telling you, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I want it. I want the Holy Spirit. I want fire. Now, I was baptized in water three months exactly after my salvation, which was, was July 25th, 1977. Three months later, September 25th, 1977, I was I was being baptized in water and a preacher and a good friend of mine who was an elder he says do you want to be baptized in the holy spirit and i says i didn't even know there was a, you know baptism in the holy spirit so they took me upstairs and we they prayed over me and i began to speak in another tongue very slightly i mean it wasn't no language you know i mean but i mean it was different words on there like what and as the years went on, it just developed, it developed. It's kind of like you learning English when you're a child. You have to develop it. But you can know one thing. If God gives you that gift, it's a good gift. If you ask God for the gift, the devil isn't going to sneak in there and give you a demonic language. I've heard demonic languages. I've heard demons speak to me and to others with me. And I'll tell you what, there is a significant difference. You will... Feel the eeriness of it right away. You'll feel the deepness of the depth and the, the hatred of it right there. God wants to give me a gift of tongues, I'll take it. He wants to give me prophecy, I'll take it. He's only going to give you what you can handle. The Holy Spirit distributes the gifts exactly as he wills, says 1 Corinthians eleven twelve. It might be twelve eleven. So, tongues of fire. If you want fire, Christian, you realize a lot of us here got saved out of a family that didn't even know Christ. You want your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your 
uncles, your aunts, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren not to know Jesus. That's why you need the fire. That's why you need the tongues of fire in your life. That's why it needs to be distributed on each and every one of us today. And it rested on each and every one of those 120 there. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Yes, these were known languages of the day. Because they went out into the field, all 120. No longer were they hiding out. No longer were they um, cowards. All of a sudden, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They had the tongues of fire on them, and they couldn't stop speaking about Jesus. And that's exactly what the apostles later in the book of Acts said. Listen, you tell us to shut up, but we can't stop speaking about Jesus Christ and him crucified, dead, buried, and risen again. And they were filled. Filled means really saturated, okay? But the promise was in chapter in chapter 1, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Baptized means to be saturated. Saturated. Uh, one time I got a sponge and I, I had a little pail of water and a sponge here and I dipped the sponge in, you know, and I squeezed it out and it was wet, but it wasn't saturated. So stick it back in the bucket and pick it up, and now it's saturated with water, and the water's flowing down into the pail. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. That's what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, in in Greek, there's three prepositions, and you, you might know them, para, Para means alongside, paraclete, paramedic, you know, paralegal. It comes alongside the lawyer. That's what happened in the Old Testament. When, when Samuel said something or anointed David, he, the Holy Spirit came alongside him, or even in him for a time, but left. They never had the full presence of the Holy Spirit like you do today. You live in a better covenant because of, the, because of Pentecost. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. You are saturated with the Holy Spirit. Then there's the Greek preposition en, E-N, which means in you. Well, that's what happened at, at, at Resurrection Sunday evening. You know, Jesus blew on the disciples. There were only ten there. Thomas was missing and Judas was dead. There was ten there, okay? And he blew on the ten and they received the Holy Spirit. But they were lacking something, power, which is Jesus is telling them, you go to Jerusalem, you wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, on you. And that's what they did. So 10 days, they were, well, from 50 days, they were powerless. They were hiding out, their fear of the Jews. I'm going to be reading that shortly. So we'll just turn now, since, since we're on that, um, we're going to turn to... Um, John chapter 20. But first, I want to say this. There's a symbolic sense to, the, to uh, Pentecost. 
there's a practical sense for the Jewish people. They, they're one, uh, a Jewish male had to at least go to one of the three feasts every year, either Passover, Pentecost, or the Feast of Tabernacles. So there would be a lot of people in Jerusalem at Pentecost. One scholar said Jerusalem was about 500,000 people. I think he's a little high. But they said when Pentecost came or Passover came, it maybe jumped up to 2 million. So now we have 120 people preaching to 2 million people. And they're on fire. Okay? But there's a symbolic sense. And Jesus told us about it in Matthew chapter 9. He said, the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. You pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into the harvest. And that's what the Lord did at Pentecost. He raised up the, the people in the 120 in that room, and he raised them up, you know, to go forth and gather the harvest in. That's what Pentecost means, you know. It's the Feast of the First Fruits. Right here, when these, they start preaching in the book of Acts, and 3,000 get saved, then another 3,000 get saved, and on and on, you're seeing the first fruits of the, the, the harvest of souls and probably every one of us in this room come somewhere. You could trace your salvation all the way back to those 120 in that room. Because one told somebody else and somebody else and somebody else through the 2,000 years almost that passed. And finally you got saved. See, the things of this world have no substance. It's like cotton candy. It just melts in your mouth and disappears. The reality lies in the Holy Spirit in our lives today. They were gathered in one place. Notice that. They're telling you, this is telling you that there's power in numbers. Deuteronomy 32.30 says, How can one chase a thousand or two put ten thousand to flight unless the rock has sold them? Or enabled them, I guess you could say. Listen. One can chase a thousand, two can chase ten thousand, that's ten times as much. So three can chase three thousand? And three thousand can chase what? Man, you know, there's power in numbers. There's a hundred and twenty of them here. You know, I have a feeling the devil was nowhere around. Because he couldn't take all that power there. It's good that the brethren dwell together, says Psalm. 133 verse 1. It's good. Those divided tongues of fire. I want to give you some, some pointers. Fire represents, Holy Spirit is represented by this fire. And we know that that's a, one of the, the symbols of the Holy Spirit in the, in the Bible is fire. Well, fire consumes this fire at Pentecost could should consume your whole being fire refines it gets rid of your sin you know it burns it out is because you have to be repentant it forges you into a different person I'm nowhere near the person I used to be I look back at that person and I say oh my god thank you for saving me he forced me to be something else. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away and all things become new. He comforts us. 
That's what Jesus told him in John 14, 26. He said, you know, it's expedient that I go away or else the comforter won't come. Or it can be translated helper. The Holy Spirit illuminates. He illuminates you. He tells you there's danger ahead. Or you should go this way and not that way because the flesh wants to draw you over here because the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh so that you don't do what you want to do. So he illuminates you to the dangers where not to go. Galatians 5.17 He warms us. He's a comfort to you. How many times have you sat at home crying and the Holy Spirit just warmed you and comforted you? He attracts. You know, when you're on fire, you ever watch the bugs come around? They run right into the fire. I'm sitting there going like, even Keith Green has a song about that. It's like a moth to the flame. You know, they just attracted. People will be attracted to you. What is different about you? I want to know what it is. And sometimes you'll tell them, and they'll walk away, and sometimes they might receive, or sometimes you just might have planted a seed for someone else to reap. Listen, this is a unique experience to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a complete and separate and distinct baptism from, the, from baptism in water. Jesus didn't baptize in water. He baptized in the Holy Spirit. John baptized in water. Paul even said, I'm glad I didn't baptize many people. Because they tend to think that, you know, he's a special person. You're just a, being, a human being. Now, when the Holy Spirit, you're baptized by Jesus in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a special being. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you don't know what you're missing. I can guarantee you I wouldn't be standing here if I wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit and back in July, September 25th, 1977. Because I've been through some rough times in these 44 years. Times when you wanted to jump a bridge. Time when you think you can't go on. Time you think when your heart is just so broken you can't stand it. You speak to God with groanings too deep to be heard. Speaking in tongues, by the way. As far as I'm concerned, that's a tongue because God knows exactly what I'm groaning about. John 20, verse 19. Then the same evening, being the first day of the week, this is Resurrection Sunday, in the evening, the first day of the week, at Sunday, not the Sabbath, which is Saturday, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. Here's why they were gathered there. For fear of the Jews, they came out and stood. He came and stood in their midst. Okay, the doors are locked. The bars are on the windows, most likely. They're hiding out there because they feared the Jews. Okay, Jesus came and just appeared there right in the middle. Wouldn't that be something to see? This is the same evening of Resurrection Sunday. Jesus appeared. If you remember right, I just did a little teaching on it not too long ago at Easter. Resurrection Sunday, I call it. He appears to them. He appears to Mary Magdalene first in John chapter 20. Then he appears to the other woman that were running back to tell the disciples in Matthew 28. Then he appears to the ones, the two guys going to Emmaus in Luke 24. And now he appears on Resurrection Sunday 
to the disciples, and he had other appearances too. He appears to the seventy ten disciples. Wait a minute. He was just crucified, dead three days ago. We know that the scriptures say that the Holy One will not undergo decay. Okay, David said that. Okay, and now all of a sudden, it's three days later, his body should be well decayed by now, and it wasn't. And all of a sudden, he's standing in front of the twelve, the ten disciples. In John 15, verse 17, he commanded them to love one another, and I think that's why they're sticking together. Because they did love one another. Jesus put such a love bond between them. They were sticking together also because they were scared to death for fear of the Jews. They have no courage. They have no strength. They have no power to do anything. And that continued for 50 whole days. No power until Pentecost when they received the power. Their energy was gone. They're full of fear. And now we know, not too many years later, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Listen, when any of you are f scared or fearful, you better reflect on that verse. It ain't, is not God who gave it to you. Fear. He gave you power. You cast that fear out. You say, fear, I'm not biting into you. Love and a sound mind. That means you're not going crazy. You're perfectly sane. Jesus standing in their midst. This time, he didn't even knock at the door. You know, Revelation 3.20 at uh, the church of Laodicea, he says, he's knocking at the door, let me in. He didn't knock, he just showed up. Most of the time, God doesn't just show up like that. He knocks first. He says, Bill, Christian, Matt, Judy, I'm knocking at your heart. Let me in. Let me in. And here's his first words. They're scared to death. What does he say to them? Peace be unto you. They're probably even more scared when they say somebody that wasn't invited or somebody that was just appeared there. I don't think he had exactly the same looks. I think he had a resurrected, glorified body. He wasn't, re he wasn't noticed by the two going to Emmaus, okay? But then again, he could have just hid the, that from them easily. You know, God can do it the way he wants. He brings words of peace to cowardly, to the cowardly, to the faithless, to the unworthy disciples. With the, he comes with a cheerful greeting. He has words of good cheer. And he tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Go to Jerusalem and wait. That's a command. He commanded them to go to Jerusalem and wait. And what for? The promise of the Holy Spirit, which is, which is coming from the Father. He, verse 20, 
verse chapter 20 of John, verse 20 and 22. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you. Not just one time peace, but peace twice be unto you. As the Father sent me, even so I send you. What? They're hiding in this room. They're powerless. They're fearful. They're afraid, to, scared to death. They're going to get killed by the Jews. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And this is where I tell you, the Holy Spirit was in them. Paraclete, the Old Testament, paralegal, paraprophet. New Testament, Jesus blows on you when you get saved and you receive the Holy Spirit, but you don't have the power yet. You shall receive power, Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the third Greek preposition, epi, E-P-I, which means upon you, comes upon you and just saturates you, not just in the, the Ark of the Covenant, which I call the Holy of Holies, your heart. The presence of the Holy Spirit is in everybody's heart that receives Christ with, with all their heart, if they did it with all their heart. But when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that curtain is torn in your heart, and the Holy Spirit just saturates this temple all the way down to your fingertips. Every organ, every blood cell, every molecule is saturated with the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. And that's what happens. There's a difference between John 20, 22, where Jesus blew on them, and Acts uh, chapter 2 and verse 4. There's a big difference. It's having, but not saturated. At creation, you know God blew into Adam's nostrils, and he came, became a living soul. At Pentecost, he blew eternal life into everyone that accepts him as his Savior. And they're born again. I believe that the disciples may not have been born again yet until that resurrection Sunday evening when Jesus blew on them and all of a sudden they're born again. They're changed. They're different. There had to be a change right there. Not so much, though. They were still hiding out. The feast, you know, in the Old Testament... The, the Feast of First Fruits, which is Pentecost, was Israel got the, received the law from the Lord. In the New Testament, at Pentecost, we received the Holy Spirit. And he gives us power. Jesus even told Nicodemus, if you remember, right in John chapter 3, he said, you, he said, he said, he that is born of the flesh is flesh, but he is born of the Spirit is spirit. Right there, they were born of the Spirit. And they became a spiritual being. They're born again. They're reborn, whatever you want to call it. Their life, life is so precious. The breath of life that God breathes into every individual is so precious. But the eternal life that God breathes into each person is even so, so, so much more precious because you have eternal life. What does, if you live to be 200 years old, what does that count as 
if you compare it to eternity. If you have a line from here to eternity and you mark out 200 years on that line, I'll bet you can't even see it. It's so important that you receive Christ as your Savior. When God breathes into you the Holy Spirit, He breathes life, life, life eternal. Not just life, but eternal life. You know, in the Old Testament, when Moses had finished the tabernacle in Leviticus chapter 9, the priestly ministry began, Aaron and his sons. And you know what came down to to, uh, empower that ministry? Fire. Fire came down. You know what came down to empower the church? The Holy Spirit and fire came down and it empowered the church. As I told many people over the years, you know, the book of Acts has never ended. It still hasn't ended. It will never end until the last enemy, death, is thrown into the lake of fire. Pentecost has not ended. It continues today, and that's why you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to have the wind of the Spirit in you. That's what the, the, the word spirit means. It means wind. In the Old Testament, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's napash, which means to blow or puff. It means wind. It means spirit. It means breath. It means breeze. In Acts, we see it as pone which is wind or breeze or breath or wind, and that's what we see. That sound of a rushing mighty wind, it was a sound. That was the Holy Spirit coming in. And the fire is the, is the fire, that the empowerment that, that we get. I'm not going to have you turn to Ezekiel 37, but... I want to go, I want to explain it as we go along. There's a valley of dry bones. And God tells the prophet Ezekiel, he says, can these bones live? And he says, well, well, I don't know. You know, O God. And God says in verse 4, he says, prophecy and say, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. You know, I'm going to change my prayer life. From now on, when I pray with people, I'm going to say, Oh, dry bones, or oh, cancer, hear the word of the Lord. God hasn't given me a disease. You're trying to give me a disease. There's no weapon that you can form against me. That's the way I think I'm going to start my prayers. Because God's saying to Ezekiel, you say, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is... You can't form a weapon against me that's going to prosper, devil. If you dig a ditch for me to fall into, you're going to fall into yourself. If you curse me, God turns curses into blessings, and so on and so on and so on. Verse 5, the Lord says to these bones that you may come to life. Now, he's granting what he's telling the prophet to do. He's saying these bones have permission to come to life. 
In verse 6, I will put sinews on them and cover you with skin and put breath in you. Rosh in Hebrew, wind, breath, that you may come to life. That's what God's doing at Pentecost. He wants the church to come to life in power and authority. Verse 7, So I, that's Ezekiel, prophesied as I was commanded, then a rattling. The bones came together, bone to bone, the sinews, the flesh, the skin, but no breath. Verse 9a, He said, Prophesy to the breath or to the wind. Prophesy to the wind, Ezekiel. And then in verse 9b, Ezekiel says, Say to the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. And verse 10, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and breath came into them, and they, be, they came to life. They stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. See, and then God says to Ezekiel, these bones are the whole house, house of Israel. These bones are the whole house of Israel. That's not a compliment. You see, if you're a believer and you're dried up and you feel like a bunch of old bones, even though you were saved 50 years ago or 60 years ago or even last week, it's not good to be a bunch of dry bones. God wants to bring life into you. He wants to raise you up as a mighty army. Verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves. I will cause you to come out of your graves. It's time for the church to get out of our graves. Quit worrying about the, the who's playing the worship today. Is it Jeremy Camp or is Lauren Daigle or is it some amazing group? Who cares if the chairs aren't padded? Who cares if the church don't have a roof? Who cares if there's no air conditioning? No, we're a bunch of dry bones, and the church got to wake up to this fact. I'm not talking to just you, the church. I'm talking about me, too, just so you know that. As I tell everybody, the preacher always gets the message because he needs it more than you. Listen, it's time for the church to quit being a bunch of dried-up bones. It's time for you to be an army of God that moves forth with power and authority we need to stop it right here, right now. As I said earlier, you know, well, you have the Holy Spirit. You're not dead like these dry bones. You're alive. But there's a billion, well, seven billion other people out there that don't. It's time for us to come alive. Again, I love the, the older hymns. But here. You have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have you? Does he? When he talks to you, do you hear? When you're praying, do you feel him? So this was a 
army. They were a mighty army as we see. And they were defeated because they dried up. And I don't want the church to dry up. I don't care what church you are. We have a living Savior that's resurrected from the dead. Again, I've got to quote some songs that I love. The church has forgot about these songs. I don't even hear the kids in churches singing them anymore. Onward, Christian soldier, marching out to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward in the battle, you see the banner go. What happened? How did we get out of the battle, church? You know how? You let the fire of the Holy Spirit get snuffed out. You need to clean away those ashes and fire back up again. Put some more fuel on the fire. And the only fuel that you're gonna, that's going to prosper you is right here in this book. There's the fire. Read it. Study it. Obey it. And you will be awfully proud. And you, you even realize that when I say that baptism of the Holy Spirit is a church ordinance, you will understand it. As I said, it's mentioned in the, old, in the Gospels, it's done in the New Testament, in the Acts, and it is mentioned in the, in the Epistles. That makes it a church ordinance. Why have we dwindled off of it? I don't know a single church that will tell you that's an, or, an, an ordinance or a, a church ordinance, but it is. It's done. Listen, I got, Lewis is going to come up. He's going to lead us in a video song and then another song after that. But listen, at the sound of triumph, Satan's host does flee. On them Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. So as Lewis sings here, listen. Invite the Holy Spirit in your heart. I'll be right up front here waiting if anybody wants to renew their commitment. If anybody wants to get fired back up again and, and quit being dried out on the inside and let the curtain open from, from the Holy of Holies and flood and saturate this entire temple. And don't worry about what gift God gives to you. He gives you the gift that He wills. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 11 or 11, 12. Amen. Amen. Wake up, church. Christ has risen. And he ascended to the heavens. Are you ready to receive the Holy Spirit? Are you ready to be saturated with power, love, 
and sound mind. It's time. Wake up, church. I feel it in the I feel it in my bones. You're about to move. I feel in the winds. You're about to ride in. You say that you will pour your spirit out. Amen. You say that you will fall on sons and daughters. So
church if anybody wants to get a refreshment and just uh, tighten up to the Lord I'll be up front amen There is nobody like our God. Amen.
God and having the presence of his people. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise him. Give him thanks because he is good. Good and faithful he is. Amen. Oh, church, hear the word of the Lord and be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And do it today yes. in Jesus' name. Hear the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Amen. I love you all. I'm glad you're here. And uh, I don't know about you, but I felt the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we wanted to feel, the Holy Spirit's presence. But do what he says. Obey. That's what Ezekiel did. The Lord told him what to do, and he did it as he was commanded. So as you were commanded by the word of God, hear the word of the Lord and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And don't worry about anything else. Just know that you're going to be saturated with the living God. God bless you, church. I love you all.